Hello and welcome to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast, a show about life adversity, how to overcome it and transform your life. This is your host, Dr. Lidiana Garcia, a licensed psychologist in Los Angeles, California. And even though my hope is to deliver information that can be helpful for you to overcome adversity and transform your life, it is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professional. Okay, everyone. So welcome to this another great episode. Today, I have the honor and privilege to, and to any of you that have, don't know her yet, I doubt it because I share a lot of her posts. Natalie Gutierrez, she's a licensed marriage family therapist in New York, and I like to call her New York, and I don't know if she is okay with that term. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> and Natalie, she's been like a beam of light in this mm-hmm. Instagram world. I feel like she has so much energy and so much like very consistent in her posting and has created a movement. Because I saw you like three, four months ago, and you were like in the 3,000 and something. And now I, you were like in the 15,000, 16,000, you're closing to 20. And that was like by this very heartfelt of just posting every day, keeping consistent and all of that. So I really salute you for all of that and for the movement and change, because a lot of people are being able, now that you have more accessibility, more people are being able to see your pose and identify. And there's such a huge need for us to keep on being in those platforms. So. And she's a trauma therapist, and I'll let her introduce herself a little bit more. I just wanted to say that piece, but that's who we have today. And today what we're going to do is we're going to have a conversation about the healing journey of Black, Indigenous, people of color, because as Natalie and I, were both therapists and we work in the trauma field, we are, we've been very interesting introduced, and I think you did a video recently about how is the journey when we go to trainings, and we're usually the only ones that look different, meaning non-white, and then how a lot of people are applying those things or you see it out there. And if you're listening to this and you're, you know, what I'm going to describe about, please don't take it as an offense. It's more of a description, but I've seen a lot of like white therapists just learning Spanish and trying to apply things without necessarily knowing the culture and just translating purely. And that's not norm-based. And that is a big, big problem. And that goes with testing as well, because I'm a psychologist. So for any of you that have children in the schools, and I know right now we have one of the guests is Michelle, and she's a school psychologist, but I think she's the only one that I know that is that is not white. So it's a very dangerous thing because a lot of us are getting diagnosed, mistreated, and just translated something that was created for a specific population to everyone else. So that's why I'm so psyched about this post, I mean this post, <laughs> about this episode. And without any further ado, because I can keep on talking, Natalie, I want you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you do, and what inspires you to continue doing it. So I just have to say thank you so much for having me on and for all the beautiful things that you have to say about me. I love you very much, and I'm thankful that you see me, and I'm thankful that I have the honor of just being here. I And as you're as you're talking, I'm like writing this down. I'm like, yup, yup. I want to mention this too. And I want to talk about this too, because ooh, I felt the rabia already. Like I felt my ancestral rage start coming up. And uh, whew, okay, so where do I start? So I've been a licensed in marriage and family therapist in the state of New York for about seven years, seven years now. And in the state of New Jersey for about one year now. But I've been doing the therapy work, you know, accruing hours and blah, 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 probably for like over 10 years now. And from the get, like from jump, I started working with survivors of sexual trauma, survivors of sexual abuse as children, and also intimate partner violence. 
And then I also ran a group. I had to, it was a requirement at the time to co-facilitate a group with sex offenders. So offenders that have also sexually abused other folks. And I got to just get a very holistic perspective on everything. And wow. (laughs) I mean, there's, I learned, I learned a lot. Uh, And then I just, uh, when I moved back, that was in Hawaii. When I moved back to New York City, I worked a little bit with the substance abuse population. And then I just worked in the clinic to accrue my hours for licensure. And I was always primarily working with trauma. And I tell people that I chose trauma work and trauma work chose me. And I don't think there's any coincidence in that because I carry my own trauma and it just kind of has worked out this way. And I honestly feel like I don't know what else I could like, what else I would do if I wasn't doing this. I feel so passionate about this. I love this. I feel like I try to work from my spirit and from my heart as much as possible in some of the trainings, because I've done a training like a trauma studies training with a psychoanalytic perspective and just these other sort of trainings that you have to do along the way I felt like it was powerful and I love the information but there was something always missing like it felt very whitewashed it felt like everything was you know the I am here and I'm like this robot and you are you and I'm not gonna have you know my feelings I'm not gonna say anything about me to you like I'm gonna keep you at a distance here and and also like this very like authoritative kind of role that I used to run into in the past with therapists just being like, like this more hierarchical structure that happens that where you kind of, ooh, a client of mine had said this years and years ago where they had seen a, a psychologist and then had gone to see me after and about that person, they described that person as you feel the degree in the room, like you felt the doctorate in the room. And I, I don't want people to feel that yeah. with me. Like I, I try to make sure that it's very peer to peer because one thing, at least what feels true for me, is that folks of color, Black, Indigenous, people of color, come from a lot of trauma, slavery, genocide, all of that, from people of authority. We are also, you think of mass incarceration, there is a huge disparity between people of color in the prison system and people of color, you know, of white folks that are not in the prison system. And so I feel like when it comes to the real healing work with people that you cannot come from a place of authority, that you cannot come from a place of, and this is what you need to do. And da, 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 da. like you have to come from heart to heart, peer to peer. You have to come down from, you know, the pedestal or the high horse or whatever it is. You have to put ego aside and you have to actually meet people eye to eye on the same level. Mm-hmm. And heal that way, heal collectively, heal as in community heal. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, right. I'm <laughs> looking at the comments. Michelle Morales says, see their humanity. Absolutely. I, I don't like, um, mm-hmm. so I have this DSM-5 in my office mm-hmm. that I felt obligated to get because, you know, they, like if there's this feeling like if you don't have the DSM, like you're a terrible therapist and blah, blah, blah. And so I have it in my office and it's, been in a plastic for like since it first came out like I've never opened it Mm -hmm. because I just find that when you had mentioned earlier and I took a note of it that there's just so much diagnosis and sometimes people being misdiagnosed because the clinician is just ready to pathologize certain things that it's always this person has schizophrenia or this person has bipolar or this person has so and so and everyone is so quick to diagnose, and I know some of it is because of insurance purposes, you won't get paid unless you give a diagnosis that's billable. At the same time, it's like, 
there are studies that show that people of color are more diagnosed with bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, and these kind of cluster A and cluster B traits than than white folks. Yeah, and I would add in also schizophrenia, and it's something that I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but I felt called. I'm Puerto Rican and over here, I guess, biracial. Like my dad is very dark skin. My mom is very white skin. So from my dad is where the closest that I have the connection with my black side and my African side. And that side of the family is where the severe mental health issue mm. is more prevalent. Um, bipolar. I have an aunt that was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And I actually, if we look about diagnosis, why I actually think it was erroneous. It's more, but anyways, it's all based on rage. It's all based of slavery, Hindus, symptoms that continue to happen down the road. It's like, we'll go crazy. Of course, I'm going to like, and want to do things my way. Like I've been held for so many years and there's that huge trauma in that side. And I was explaining because I was talking with someone that that's the side that I feel like I would also have more connection with my African side in terms of spirituality, blah, blah, blah. And it's the side that is the most very Catholic and very like, that's a big no-no. So I was not introduced to any of Santeria or anything like that in Puerto Rico, even though I'm from the East Coast and my African side is from the East Coast as well, because it was very much of like this whole thing of being colonized and following because to survive, I mean, they had to do it. They had right. to do it. But yes, is that side, because my other side that is more the white and maybe indigenous side, it's more of anxiety and more like pushing through, blah, 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 and all this kind of other stuff and body kind of issues. But from my father's side, it's more of that severe mental health and alcoholism and blah, blah, blah. But it makes completely sense. And when I was younger, nobody ever told me that. And then I felt ashamed of that. Like even going into studying psychology, it was like, well, this is a secret I have to hold. This is because then people will think that I have that. And, you know, it's this whole stigma of like, oh, my God, I have like an aunt that has schizophrenia. So does that mean that, you know, genetically, because you study all those kind of things. And it's, it's very unfortunate because then it adds more to the stigma and it adds more to not wanting to look for help or anything exactly like our community already feels like we can't talk about it because therapy is for crazy people right like therapy is for white people or therapy is for crazy people because that's what's been shown to us right and it's impeded our healing but there's also a shame around like airing the family dirty laundry like you know they say when whatever is wrong with the family you deal with it within the family and that's it you don't go anywhere else you don't go no like no one can tell me how to run my life and i've been living this way for whatever long like i'm not going to change that da, 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 da. but there is also i love how you brought up the santeria piece and mm -hmm. all of that because i think too we don't incorporate that enough in therapy as well like we don't like that feels very taboo like when someone says, oh, I'm a bruja or I do santeria, it's automatically, boom, you're bad, you're evil, you speak to the yeah. devil, da 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 And, you know, in the spirit of self-disclosure, I actually just came from a meeting with someone and I was doing a mediumship. Mm. And for me, that's been part of how I am trying to heal my ancestral wounds yeah. because, I mean, I've been in therapy for like eight to 10 years and I still am going to be in therapy for even more. But there's something also that therapy has not been able to heal because there's a profound pain that comes from many generations before me. And so I, so something like going to a therapist and saying like, I have visions. Right. It's so scary because I'm like, oh my gosh, I know what comes of that. And even if supposedly the DSM says you're supposed to honor culture, da, 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 do clinicians really do it? Do white folks, do white clinicians 
really take the time to understand. It, it's very, it's hard. It's it very hard. difficult. Especially then if you disclose that you have any family member. <laughs> which, yeah, right. You know, like first like, oh, okay. <laughs> Then it's like another statistic of of genetic component. Yes, it's this is so on point, and thank you for sharing that as well. But it's interesting because yesterday I had a call and I was like, oh, and I have this shaman that I'm gonna contact too because I'm also dealing with some stuff in terms of ancestral, and I feel like therapy, journaling, and, and reading and blah 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 only gets to a certain point. And now I'm feeling cold to kind of do that. So yeah, and oh my god, it's frowned upon. It's frowned upon. Like with some people, like if you if you mention this, people will think will see you and, and just think negative things about you. Yeah, yep, definitely. So we already started going into it, but like, how do you define healing? Because that is such a big word. <laughs> it is a big word. How do I define healing? I think, well, for the most part, I think healing is not about a destination. It's not about like a cure. You know, some people think healing and they think cure. I think healing is a journey. I think healing looks different for different people. And I think healing takes time. I think healing also needs to be seen and experienced as more like holistically. And so I think, especially with people of color, I mean, there's, there's been, colonization has really deeply affected us, has really deeply affected us where, you know, like I have mentioned in that video, like I walk into the room and I already know, like in a training, I already know I'm going to be one of the very few minorities there, if not the one person. I'm already like preparing for it and I'm already feeling the message, the inner critic, but really, truly, like the message of the colonizer saying, or my colonized, my part of my colonized mind saying, like, you're not good enough. These people speak way better than you. Their vocabulary is much larger than yours. Like, you are not good enough walking into the space. You're going to look like an idiot. And I have this part. And then there's another part of me that's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and, you know, and I have to do the self talk, but I don't get to go into a room without that. I don't go into a room like a training without giving myself this self-talk. Like this is a self-talk that I feel like many people of color have to give themselves before they walk into a room knowing that they're going to be one of the very few people of color in these spaces. And these spaces are not safe spaces. These spaces are brave spaces. Yeah. These spaces are where we are required and where we feel this obligation to call it out. I mean, in this training, sorry, I know I'm kind of going ahead. And I will oh, answer your yeah. healing question, I promise. No, no worries, but no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But in this particular training, I I had to share that something came out with being like, I don't want to divulge too much, but anyway, something came out where I had to say what you said offended me. And, you know, you get to go to your house and not feel like when the police visit your house that you're not going to get shot. I may not even have that experience because I'm lighter, but somebody else somebody black with more melanin in their skin can. So there are these experiences, same thing with like being stopped by the police, same thing by if you're in a store and you're being followed, which I've been, been followed a number of times. Like there is just so much, there's so much inequity. So going back to the, just preparing for that, I feel like we just have to prepare for that so much when we go into these spaces and they're, they're not really safe spaces, they're brave spaces. With healing, I think that I define healing as like I said, this journey, but also something that happens spiritually, something that happens financially. So understanding our relationship with money and really exploring that because if we are struggling with something like asking for fee or something like feeling like we're scared to negotiate salary, things like that, this is part of being colonized. Like this is part of where we are feeling so unworthy 
and that still is being passed down, that these kind of things are very scary for us and we feel unworthy. We, we unintentionally devalue ourselves. Mm. So I think healing looks like financial awareness. It looks like you're healing spiritually. It looks like communal healing because we cannot, I don't believe that we, any one of us can heal without community. I think that's really important. I think we need to heal also individually. We need to do the work individually, deeply and all of that. But we, we need to heal with community mm. because trauma usually happens in isolation. Although there are some traumas that happen like together, trauma happens in isolation and healing happens in connection, especially with indigenous folks and groups. We have always functioned in community. Yeah. We have always functioned in community. And it's not until now where society has says it needs to be very individualistic and it's not, and it, and it can't be. You guys are enmeshed. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're enmeshed, right? <laughs> yeah. We're enmeshed. Yeah, so like, it's important that we heal also in community and also somatically, somatically as well. So like we're not only just trying to heal cognitively and shift our thoughts and da, 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 that's not enough. Like we also have to heal somatically. We also have to understand our bodies and reclaim it. We have to reclaim our spiritual practices, whatever that looks like or doesn't look like, but that it's ours and that we're not carrying the shame around them any longer. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is so profound and something that kind of like I wanted to continue add a little bit is you mentioned how when we go to spaces we have to like prepare before but then it continues throughout the whole thing there will be times here and there that you have to like do the self-talk to kind of stay there and so many people like I've worked with so many people that avoid going to places so they don't have to go with that deal with that mental shatter and then when you talk about the financial piece I feel like it's important to start voicing those things out especially in the community because something that I just realized that I had an aha while you were talking was I think it was because well, today is Saturday. So Thursday I had a call from someone, uh, a Latina, and she asked me for services for someone. And I, like if I take insurance and I'm like, at this moment, I can't afford it. I do have some sliding scale, you know, and they're full and I cannot afford it because if I continue going that route, which I've done in the past, then I cannot afford staying in my office and I can have to go back to work in an agency that mistreats me. And I, I'm not for that. So now, you know, I feel much better about it. But but she was like, oh, that's so unfortunate, kind of like in Spanish. like, And I was like, wow, she's shaming me. And I had to like then have that inner shot, like, okay, like I know where she's coming from, but I'm going to give her resources, you know? This is what you can do. And I'm sorry, at this moment, I can't. And I feel like it's important for us to also stop shaming others because that's how we can then help. Like by me being able to keep my regular fee, then I can do slide and scale. And somebody asked me like, how much can I slide? And I didn't tell them, but... I do have someone and I had people that I, it's $50 and that's all they can afford, but they've been clients with me for, for super long time. And, and you know, the work is really good and all that, but I have those spots already taken and I cannot and feel it okay with that. But that's something that probably like, I know white psychologists, colleagues that they are charging already, I mean, way more than I do. And from the get go, like they got their PhD and they're already charging like 250 or something. But they don't have to go through that, you know, like, how can I help the community? How can I? Because for most of them, for many of them, their communities are fine. Yes, they can still have some issues, you know, with financials and blah, blah, blah. But there's not that need, like, your community is, like, super far behind and you want to, like, give back to your community. And that's something else that I think is important that we all keep in mind, that we tend to have those inner shutters in our mind, but also how our community tend to push us, keep, stay here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are encouraged to forget about our community. Yes. Yeah, it is a hard balance. It is. It really is. And I was going to say something. Oh, yes. 
And and that thing, like when people are not needing to think about that, when people are not needing to do the self-talk and like this mental exercise before going into a, a room or think twice about their fee and feel like that is privilege. That is privilege. Yes. And that is exactly, <laughs> that's exactly like the, the example of, of how privilege exists. We are carrying so much. We're still carrying so much. Our ancestors have carried so much and we are continuing to carry this burden. And when I am in these training spaces and when I'm expressing, looking around and I'm the only person of color and like people cannot afford these trainings and I could barely afford it, but but I kind of sort of made it. And like, I have to name it. No one else in the room has, like no one else in the room needs to do that. No one else in the room needs to do that. But I'm the one doing life. So we carry this like extra burden of having to like name it alongside already experiencing it. So we have to experience it and then we have to name it. And then we have to also motivate our people as well. So it's hard. It is so hard. It's so hard. But it's important that we talk about this because I know there was this post going around about all the stuff like moms have to think about, like the, I think they call it emotional um, heaviness or heavy load or something, figuring things out. Like where am I in? And that was so amazing because a lot of people don't like if you don't see it you might you know whatever you don't see you you it it doesn't exist and it is there it is there for all of us we are always having some kind of like or you know worried about it or inner shatter that other people don't necessarily have to have Mm -hmm. and christina said and then white folks expect us to teach them too that's absolutely right (laughs) and then or and then on top of that hold their guilt yes when they feel that, you know, the, the, the white fragility, as they say, when they feel sad or guilty about this, that, then we have to play, we have to care for them in the process. We have to like soothe them. And it's, no. Yeah. 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 Oh, those so days really, are gone. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> we already started talking about some challenges that black indigenous people of color experience. Any other challenge? And I added here like individually, family, occupational, in their community. Any other challenge that we haven't voiced yet? Oh, well, occupational, let me see. I'm looking at my index because I'm like, I have to make sure that I say this. Occupational, what immediately came up for me is asking for salary, right? We feel so behind. And of course, you know, I don't want to entirely generalize and say all people of color feel behind and all of this stuff because I'm sure there are people that don't. But I can speak for myself when I say that there's a part of me that feels like you're behind, you're behind. And then there's another part of me that's like, don't compare yourself to people who've had resources way before you. So, you know, holding that. So occupationally, I think that it's important, not only just asking for salary, but that going back to the um, issue around just like mass incarceration, right? And people uh, of color being the most behind bars and in the prison system. When you leave prison, yeah. it's harder for you to find a job. Now there's like this, what do they call the Like the scarlet letter on you where you are just... You are seen as a certain way and it is harder for you to find work. And so if you cannot find work and you're trying to support your family, what are you going to do? The thing that brings you money. And then there's also this vicious cycle. So there's that. There's even just access to healthy food, right? Like financial, like access to food, being a person of color, trying to find access to food, organic stuff, all of that stuff. Like it is very hard for many people living in, you know, poverty stricken areas to find healthy food, organic food. And so we go for the, what is it? The um, processed, the processed foods, the unhealthy stuff. And then the daily $1 value menu. and Right, 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 right. And then fast forward. Now we start having health complications. 
along, <laughs> along with the stuff that has been passed down through our generations when it comes to health. Yeah. When it comes and to something. How these worst and yes. younger and then right. the treatment that they get. Yeah. Right. I'm even thinking about schools. Like now that I'm in the process of looking for a kindergarten for my little one, you know, the food that they serve at school. Because I know on one side you have like, well, at least it's something because there's people that don't have and I get that. But can we go a little bit beyond at least it's something? Can we like whatever we give, can it be quality so that way we can change this pattern? Because now here in California, the schools are required to provide breakfast. And when I asked the teacher, she said, well... It's usually like boxed stuff. And I'm like, oh, my son has asthma. I'm like, I try to keep him away of these things because that exacerbate his, mm-hmm. like, I have the privilege in that sense with my finances that I've been able to look for different kinds of services and realize that that kind of food exacerbate his asthma and his respiratory issues. So I try to avoid it. I try to eat, you know, healthy. But now I'm like, oh, you're going to feed those things. And he's going to eat it because, I mean, he loves cereal. I try to buy, you know, he's going to want to eat milk, even though I, we don't drink meal at home and those kind of things adding to that respiratory. And there's a lot of kids with low SES, with asthma and with a lot of like, you know, past generations to generations. So in access to school, like the, the school, like right now I'm moving to a different area because the schools are so, they're so traditional. And, and I mean, there's so much to talk about school in itself, but yeah, it's so the access to school and then the whole thing about the military recruiting in those areas, there's mm. out there. Um, the opportunities that they're able to get. And just even, oh, 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 oh. just even thinking when you say that, you know, the military recruiting, I thought of the, um, oh my gosh, what is the film? It's a documentary. I can't, oh gosh. I think it's Superman. No, it's about the, when contraception was being introduced to the United States, they went to Puerto Rico and started having people sterilize, they were sterilizing Puerto Rican women against their will, against their consent, just saying, this is to help your family not grow anymore. And so like women were sterilized against really fully knowing what was happening by the government. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, using the bodies yeah. of people of color yeah. as experiments. And there is a lot of history behind that too. Ooh, yeah, Especially in Puerto Rico, like it mm-hmm. has some of the highest statistics about Crohn's disease. So mm-hmm. that's the issue. It has really high statistics about breast cancer and cancer in general. I used to live, well, I was born and raised in, in Macau. And from my house, I was able to see Vieques. So that when the marina mm. was there. So we were able to hear the explosions that they were doing there. And I was like, oh, fireworks. Hell no, it was not fireworks, you know. So, and I've never been to Vieques because I kind of moved here like several years after the marina left. And it was still dangerous to go there because there was still a lot of minefields that you can get blown up by walking to the beach or something. But, you know, all those kind of things and the... The orange agent that they tested in the West Side, like Puerto Ricans have a lot of many diseases and I have family members with Crohn's and all that. And yeah, they go. I met some people here, some doctors, and they're like, yeah, we go to Puerto Rico to study. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> what, like, what, like, I don't know what to say. Like, this sounds like so horrible. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Flint, Michigan, people don't have clean water. You know, like there is just, oh, there's just so, there, there are way too many examples, way too many, many examples of how people of color are just completely mistreated, invalidated, dismissed, erased in this country, but also like everywhere. It's not even just here. It, it's global. Yeah. And in terms of therapy, like how, I mean, there's a lot of examples there, but yeah, but it, or even your example, your experience when you've been seeking, if you ever saw it with a white therapist or something, what are some of the challenges? 
I um I was very fortunate. Oof, okay, actually, before I found good before I found a positive white therapist, I went through some really hurtful therapists. I went through about eight. I went through about eight before I found the right therapist. And they had me, one of the people, because I have I have complex trauma, and one of the people had me see this other guy who was running some 22 uh, week program for CBT. And at one of those meetings, I was supposed to do a homework and I didn't do the homework. And when I didn't do the homework, he responded to me that he was disappointed in me. Oh, wow. And I like, I immediately thought, oh my God, that's my father. That's my mother. I've disappointed everybody. And I, I just like, I lost it. And I just, how could you? And I'm like, yeah, like him over the phone. Like, how could you say that to me? I assign homeworks to my clients and I would never in a million years, ever in a million years, tell them that they disappoint me because they didn't do it because, you know, that it is their process. And I often, and that's the thing, like, I feel like the way that therapy is supposed to be, like, you're supposed to say, oh, my client is being resistant if they're not doing their homework. I offer this in like, hey, this is the homework that I have. Can I give you some homework? You can do it if you want to. If you don't, that's okay. It doesn't matter. We can do it in person. I don't want them to come in feeling shame when they don't do my homework. Yeah. Yeah. And mis- misunderstood. I've had yeah. Or like made some kind of prejudice comment or like mockering religion or stuff or mm-hmm. you know, like the whole measurement piece, like you have to individualize and right. get out of the house and all these kind of things. Yeah. There's a lot of like statements that are said. And then the hard part, because I went through that was, I was feeling like there was something off, but because I was raised very much into and colonized, <laughs> dope twice, um, made very much to just follow and, and, you know, like they're in authority, like respect, respect them, respect them. So then I was like here doubting myself and self-questioning like, wait, what's wrong with me? Like they're, they're, they're fine. Like they should be safe and not trusting my body that was screaming, get the hell out of here. Like we got to a point and it was so interesting and it was so hard for me to even kind of like terminate. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I missed an appointment because of something. Uh, I think I was sick or my son was sick. She charged me and I was like, dang it. Like I could have fight it because I mean, and I understand the policy, but my son was sick, you know, and all that, at least ask. And it was like so hard for me to stand up, you know? Yes, you're absolutely. And I've had that experience too. And I think he was like toward the end of, of what I was struggling with. But before I was, when my eight therapist that I, that I sought, I was terrified of saying, this is like, this is not for me or we're not a good fit. I was terrified of saying that because mm-hmm. we're taught to be so obedient. Yes. Dating all the way back. We're taught to be so obedient that to speak up is, you know, past painful learning has taught us if we speak up, something bad is going to happen to us. Yeah. And I'm looking at time. I mean, geez, we can go ahead. But in terms of recommendations to help Black, Indigenous, people of color help them in their healing journey, what would you say would help them? Like recommendations and helping. Oh, yeah. Get to know your body. Hmm. Yes. Get to know your body because that's what Van der Kolk says. <laughs> your body keeps the score, right? Our bodies, our bodies just carry so much more than what we even are aware of. And I know many of us feel afraid in differentiating or distinguishing instinct or gut from fear. Mm -hmm. And, and I think anxiety and fear is very prevalent in intergenerate, in 
how do I say, um, it's passed down throughout generations, particularly anxiety and fear because of colonization, yeah, genocide, slavery, all of that, that we're carrying so much in our bodies that are still remnants or residue of the past. And so I want to say, honor your body and listen to it. Follow your instinct when you're feeling like you're not knowing whether or not this is coming from fear or gut. I want to say, like, listen to that whisper. Listen to the calm whisper. First, calm your body. And once you calm your body and deactivate your sympathetic nervous system, what is your instinct saying? What is spirit saying? Mm-hmm. And I also think that I think it's important to ask for help. And I think one of the hardest things to say, like one of the three hardest words to say is I need help. <laughs> I need help. And you have to be, it has to be, it has to be said because we cannot do this alone and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to heal. It's important to heal. You're worthy of it. You deserve it. And you can't do this alone. And so I want to say, pay attention to your body, lead from your body, lead from your spirit, and also seek like-minded people, seek people that you find are on the same journey as you that uplift you, that encourage you, that are not shaming you, that see you. Yeah. And that, I mean, you said so many good nuggets for everybody that's listening. And after that, I'm going to review it and write them all down. But a lot of people struggle where to find people that can support them. Do you have any recommendation for that? Like they go like, oh, but I don't know where to find these people that can see me, that can be that. That can be these people. Yeah, that support. Like directories? Or... Well, that could be one. Yeah. So there, so there is, um, I'm trying to think of organization. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. You're having, are we going to email some of this out? Because I want to send it. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely send more, you know, like in the email and the recommendations and all that for the show notes. Yes. So I'm still learning on finding different organizations that will, that are either primarily for people of color, but also therapists that can provide sliding scale and, more help for people of color. So I've used the directories Latinx therapy, as you know, or therapyforlatinx.com or culturaltherapy.health or melanin and mental health or find the multiculturaltherapist.com. I'm trying to, I, those are my go-to places. Okay. Those are my go-to places. That, of Like four or five. I think you mentioned five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But there's this organization, oh, yeah, yeah. CLOTH, CLOTH. The acronym is CLOTH, C-O-L-T-H. Okay. And I, I can't remember what it stands for, but, but it helps women of color. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes. And I know there's an app I was approached via email. I think it's called Ayana. A-Y-A-N-A. Yes. 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 Yeah. So that's right now there's a movement and that's great. And I feel like we're getting into this Aquarius age and we're moving past um, the Pisces oh, age. And one more, Inclusive Therapist, which is pretty new. Inclusivetherapist.com. Okay. Okay. Never heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make sure to write them all this. And also like later on, if you have like a snippet or something that you want to include in the email, since I have everyone's email and you will have everyone's emails as well. Great. Okay, great. And what has helped you the most in this healing journey? Mm. Uh, I think the people I've met along the way, like it hasn't really been a therapeutic approach. It hasn't been like, I can't say EMDR saved my life or, you know, like, like, yes, all of this has been wonderful. All of it is wonderful. You know, different theoretical approaches work for different people. What has helped me the most is community. Mm. What has helped me the most is 
being able to stand in my truth and say, you know, these people feel very toxic for me or they're very draining for me and I'm going to set my boundaries with them and I'm just going to put them on this side and I'm going to just take the risk in meeting new people and building community. And in the community that I've met, that I've met along the way really fairly recently has been really, I want to say, the shift in me. Mm. Especially when, like, when you have this experience where you have felt loved or not loved at all, but love to like maybe conditionally mm-hmm. community and relational relational connection, relational healing, I want to say, is incredibly important because we can't teach that. Yeah. You can only feel that. Yeah. And you learn through other people how to love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You learn through other people how to love you. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing of you love yourself and other people will love you. That's- yeah. There's like you cannot right. Like, hey, I love myself. Love me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 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 Like you can't. There's that whole thing. Like you have to, in order to love other people, you have to love yourself first. Uh, Bruce Perry talk says this beautiful quote that I had on my Instagram one time that talks about like we cannot learn love in isolation. We learn how to love ourselves based on how other people love us. So I think that has been what has been the most fulfilling thing to me. No matter all of the therapy and all the different kind of approaches that I've experienced. The love that I receive from other people is what has been the most healing for me. And actually, Instagram has been just so amazing for me in the sense that, like, I have built even more community, like meeting you and meeting like so many other people who like see me and like see me authentically, see my true self is so freaking healing. And I wish that for everybody. I wish this for everyone because this is truly the work. Mm. But oh, I, I also wanted to say one thing that I had forgotten that we could do all this healing work individually and spiritually and financially and all of that. But if structurally we are still where we are and we are still perpetuating violence against people of color, then there is only much healing that is really going to happen. Yeah. Like it has to continue in layers and has to, the healing has to happen on a macro level. Changes have to be, have to occur on the macro level structurally as well. Yeah. So how can the listeners find you? Instagram, but yeah. <laughs> so they can they can definitely find me on Instagram, Natalie Gutierrez, LMFT. They can find me, they can email me at Natalie at trauma counseling nyc.com. And soon I'm gonna get my life together and I'm gonna create um, a mailing list. <laughs> oh yes, yes. And then they can find me there as well. But I look forward to doing that. I'm gonna do that sooner than later. But for right now, Instagram and email. Okay. Right. And your office is in Harold Square. Yeah. Harold Square, 34th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue in New York City. Okay. For anyone that's local to there. And you don't have the office in New York City anymore? Not really. I, I mean, I, I see a couple of people like in the morning there, but mostly I'm in New York City. That is where I am called to be of service the most. Okay. Yeah. So for anyone that's local, anyone, you know, because you were licensed in New Jersey and New York. So technically mm-hmm. you can see virtually anyone over there. So thank you so much, Natalie. This was so much helpful. And I really love your passion, your authenticity. That for me is one of my favorite values. And I feel like that's one of the things that I'm mostly called in this lifetime here. So I appreciate you being so genuine and authentic because I feel like that's how people can heal. It's one of the components that I feel is needed. And yeah, and anything else that you want to finish with or any last comment? I just want to say that I appreciate you, Liliana. And you are also very authentic. And I feel the same way about you. And I feel like that's why we... Yes. Like, girl crush girl crush um 
the problem? I know there's bromance. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Girlfriend? I don't know. <laughs> so thank you. I just want to say thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast, on your podcast, on your baby. And also happy half birthday. Yes. Happy half birthday yes. to yes. the beautiful podcast. The reason why we're even doing this. In the I know. I forgot to mention that. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone. So you'll hear from us soon. Okay. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Resilience Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. If you like this episode, please make sure to review it and comment on it and share it with your friends and family. Until next time.